and those who have gotten off track to get back on track, to come to the place to where they experience real relationship with him. Now, Obadiah is a rather unusual book because what we find in this book is not a message to either the northern or southern kingdom of Israel. The message is to a nation that is outside Israel, and that nation is the nation of Edom. And what we're going to see as this book unfolds is this. God reigns, so don't oppose him or his people. Now, Edom is a region that is there in the yellow on the map, and it's right at the base of the Dead Sea. And when we look into history, we find that there was a long-ranging disagreement between the people of Edom and God's people, the people of Israel. It started with two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And what we find is these two twins were at odds before they were even born. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 reads as follows. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So there's this rift that exists between these two brothers, and it reminds me of a story. Up on the screen, you find two fences. In Alberta, there were two neighboring ranches, and they decided that they needed to put a fence up so they could keep the livestock separated. So one of the ranchers decides, hey, let's build a fence and we'll split the cost. And the other rancher said, no. I don't want to split the cost. So the rancher that offered it said, well, I'm going to build it anyway. So he builds it. The rancher who decided not to contribute came by one day and said, oh, I see we have a fence. Now, the rancher that built it and paid for it wasn't very excited about that. So you know what he said to the rancher who wouldn't contribute? Yeah, I built the fence, but it's two feet in on my property. And if you're livestock that sets foot on my property, I'll shoot. So knowing that he was serious... The rancher that refused to cooperate built his own fence two feet from the other. Their feud went on and on and on. And isn't it amazing how we can see people feud? And it goes on generationally. From my neck of the woods, the Hatfields and McCoys. In biblical times, Esau and Jacob, twin brothers. The story is amazing when you read it in the book of Genesis. Esau sold his birthright for some stew to Jacob. And then he later regretted it. You might say he stewed over it. I still got it, right? Yeah. And so here are these brothers 
constantly at friction, beyond sibling rivalry. And it goes on from there. Jacob deceived his own father, passing himself off as Esau to receive a blessing. And then Esau moved away from the region that Jacob was in, and he went to the region of Seir. And there he made his habitation in a mountainous region that has red stone rocks and The descendants of Esau became Edom, and that conflict continued generationally after that. There was always tension between Edom and the people of God. In fact, what we find is there was a constant conflict, a constant battle, one nation against the other one. Sometimes by becoming allies of the opposition. Even one account in the book of Numbers where Moses and the children of Israel were leaving Egypt on their way to the promised land and Edom would not allow Moses and the children of Israel to pass through their land, just constantly sticking a thumb in the other nation's eye. And it continued Now, this wasn't the purpose or the plan of God. God didn't want these nations to be this way with one another. It's what they chose. But what we find is Edom started to take it to a whole new level. They opposed the people of God. And here, Obadiah begins to write about God's judgment on the people of Edom because... They were being so difficult on the people of God. It's a prophecy against a nation. And what I want us to see as we look into the book of Obadiah is this. Even though the people of Edom thought they had good reason, you should never oppose the people of God. And certainly, you should never oppose God himself, which is exactly what the people of Edom did. Now, what we find first as we come to the first three verses of this text is a little bit about the book. The first verse begins with the simple words, the vision of Obadiah. We don't know exactly who Obadiah was. We do know that probably the book was written after both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom went into captivity by some of the internal clues that we find in the book of Obadiah. But who exactly Obadiah was, we don't know. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. And it's a book that this prophet writes, as I said, not to the people of God, but to a nation outside the people of God. And it's a warning. And what we find in this warning is, I think, some important information that applies not only to nations, but also to individuals. And these are things that we need to consider as we look into this text. And the first point is this. Pride leads to a huge fall. After Obadiah says, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. So these words have truth and power. He goes on to say this. We have heard a message from the Lord. 
An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go up against her for battle. So here's the introductory thought. Obadiah cuts right to the chase. And what he's saying is, is Edom, you're about to face a terrible fall. You're about to face judgment. Not just from other nations, but God himself is seeing to your destruction. Why? Because of your disobedience, because of your treatment of the people of God, and because of your rejection of God himself. You're facing these things. Look at the outlook of the people in verse 2. Verse 2 says this, See, I will make you small among the nations, You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your homes on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Now, do you catch just a smidgen of pride in that third verse? Edom was in a place that strategically was extremely protected. They were in mountainous terrain, and as a matter of fact, they built their dwellings right in the sides of the cliffs, so that any nation who would try to come against Edom, they would just stand up there and nonchalantly chuck rocks on their heads. They were strategically in a good place. And so they thought, who would ever do battle with us? We're invincible. We live in a place, we are a people who will be able to stand on our own. We're self-sufficient. Nobody can bring us down. Isn't it easy to come to that conclusion? Nations do it. I'm a superpower. Nobody can mess with me. Individuals can do it. I'm a self-made man. I've come to the place to where I've just got it so together, nothing bad could ever happen to me. Pride is such a deceitful thing. And that had gripped the hearts of the people of Edom, and they opposed the people of God, and they opposed God himself because of it. But then the text goes on. And this pride was taken to a whole new level because the people of Edom had this perception that we're above all others. Look at verse 4. Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now, obviously, Obadiah is using some hyperbole. He's exaggerating. They didn't make their nest in the stars, but this was the height of arrogance. They were viewing themselves as eagles that were just above the fray, gliding around. No one can touch me. I'm going to look down. I make my nest in the stars. How great I art. That was basically the viewpoint of these people. And again, we need to understand that there is a danger in this elevated viewpoint for nations and for individuals. You know, there's a dating website. And in the profiles, you're supposed to rank yourself from, I guess, genius to moron. 
And what was intriguing about the website is 40% of the men said they were geniuses. <laughs> this elevated viewpoint. Now, statistically, it's probably like 5% of the population that falls into the genius category. I don't know what the rest of the guys along with me are, you know, in number exactly in that genius category. Not really. <laughs> Far from genius here. But this is the viewpoint that these people had. This was the arrogance. This was the the pride that they had. And God was saying to them, and this is scary, I will bring you down. Can you imagine hearing from the living God, I will bring you down? Not words that any of us want to hear. But these are words that are often repeated in Scripture. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Again and again and again in Scripture, we find that principle relayed again and again and again. And while God is long-suffering, while God is patient, when a people continue to oppose him and his people, eventually they will experience God's discipline. You know, a lot of us look at what's going on in the world and we see the persecution of the church and we wonder when we see people marched onto a beach and beheaded or when we see wholesale slaughter of the people of God, how can this go on? Understand this is not a new thing. This has been going on for thousands of years as the people of God have been persecuted. First one group, then another. But here's what we've seen historically. The people of God go on. Those who punish the people of God meet their demise. God is long-suffering. God is patient. But God will not tolerate the mistreatment of his people. And so there's a warning that we find here. For those who oppose the people of God, God will bring them down. And it's as sure as the Lord is because right at the end of that fourth verse, it says this, declares the Lord. God is making this statement crystal clear. So what is this demise of the people of Edom like? You know, we're going to see that picking on the people of God brings terrible consequences. And what Edom would experience is outlined for us in verses 5 through the rest of the book, really. And it begins by talking about how they would be wiped out. Look at the fifth verse. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau, now this means the nation of Edom, how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged, all your armies will force you to the border, your friends will deceive and overpower you, those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. Here is mighty Edom 
saying we're untouchable. No one can ever bother us. And yet what God is saying is there will come a force against you so mighty, so strong, that you will have nothing less left. It will be like a thief coming into your house and cleaning you out. Absolutely nothing left. It will be like a mighty force going through your vineyards, and this is what the people of this day valued above all else, and picking you clean. All of the things that you've put your hope and your trust in, your house, your dwelling place, your wealth, your vineyards, they'll be taken away. You know, something that we forget is how fragile we really are. If it's your health, one virus, one disease can take it away. If it's your wealth, an investment, a downturn in the economy, anything can take it away. If it's anything that you can imagine that you put value in, it's there for a moment, and it can be taken away. The people of Edom had put their faith and their trust in the wrong thing. Rather than looking to God, they looked to all that they had, and they trusted in that. And because of that, they were about to face disaster. An important part of the ancient Near East was your alliances. Even those were not things that they could count on. Many times when we look through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we find the people of God counting on their alliances more than they counted on God, and disastrous results came. And that's what's going to happen with Edom right here. They would experience a downfall because they counted in these things rather than God. Look at verses 8 and 9. The people that they counted on for defense would fall. In verse 8 it says, In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau, an important part of any community in the ancient Near East, were the wise men, those sage counselors that everyone would turn to. We would call them the experts. How many times have you put your faith in an expert and found out, wow, they didn't see anything that was coming? They completely missed the point. They dropped the ball. This is what Edom was about to experience. They were counting on all of these wise, sage counselors to deliver them. But there was nothing there. They needed to turn to God, but they turned to their own seers who said very often what they wanted to hear. Look at verse 9. You warriors, O Timon, will be terrified. Now, Timon was a large city in the region of Edom. And they counted on the mighty warriors, the trained warriors, 
Again, their strategic position, you couple with that some skilled warriors, and very few warriors could hold off a majority that comes in to do battle with them. And so that's what they were counting on. And you know, as I look at this, I think of how often nations count on the education of their wise counselors and on their military might, and they forget about God. In many ways, we can see the United States and this same boat falling prey to these same devices. As individuals, we can do the same. Never mind what God has said about something. This is what the experts say. And I'm going to let the experts trump what God has said. We get off track. We forget about God. The people of Edom were going to pay a hefty price for having done that. And then this principle is shared with us. That's a very important principle. In verses 10 through 16, we see the sow-reap principle laid out for us. What goes around comes around. What you sow, you eventually reap. Look at the 10th verse. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, in other words, because you've attacked the people of God, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Now, historically, what Obadiah is talking about most likely is the way Edom stood by and not only watched but encouraged the Babylonians to come into Jerusalem and utterly destroy Jerusalem. God wanted Edom and the Israelites to love one another. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, he even commanded the children of Israel, you should not detest an Edomite, for he is your brother. This is what God commanded his people to do as far as Edom. And yet the people of Edom hated the Israelites so much that they stood on the sides and cheered as the Babylonians came in and wiped out Jerusalem. And by the way, when they wiped out Jerusalem, they weren't just coming in and tearing up things. They were slaughtering people. It was brutal. And there was starvation in Jerusalem leading up to the siege. It was a brutal time. Read the book of Lamentations. And you'll catch a bit of the flavor of the fall of Jerusalem. And rather than the Edomites looking and even feeling the least amount of compassion... For those who they were related to by blood, what did they do? Yeah, get them. And then they did worse. The scripture goes on to say that these people were involved in coming and picking Jerusalem clean, what was left after the siege. Look at verse 12. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in their day of destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity. 
in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand their survivors over in the day of disaster. Do you see what Edom did when Judah was destroyed? They went into the city. They stood outside the city. Anybody who fled for their lives, you know what they did? They captured them and said, here, Babylonians, take them as slaves. All of this because of that perennial hatred that existed, which brought Edom to the place to where they rejected God and they rejected his people. And you know, a secondary application of this, beyond just the idea of the fact that God protects his people and will protect his name, is a secondary lesson. Bitterness that runs amok and causes us to hate other people is self-destructive. That was certainly the case for the people of Edom. And so that brings us to a point where Obadiah begins to truly warn them about what they had done and the consequences. And this is what he says. The day of the Lord is near. For all nations, all you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Now, in layman terms, that's basically... Obadiah saying, hey, Edom, what goes around comes around. The stuff you did to Judah, God is going to judge you by allowing you to experience that very thing. Isn't it amazing how we'll see people laugh at the misfortune of another person and then, boom, what they laughed about happens to them. I think that's God's justice in allowing people to experience that. And that's certainly what the people of Edom were going to experience. They were going to experience just judgment for the way they treated the people of God. God was making them accountable for what they had done. In fact, verse 16 says this, Just as you drank on my holy hill, in other words, you're celebrating in Jerusalem, Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. In other words, you are going to be crushed by the nations around you. And it goes on to say, they will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. In other words, Edom would fall into obscurity. And when you look historically, that's exactly what happened. Final point. Positioning ourselves against God and his people, is a no-win proposition. A lot of times when the people of God are abused and persecuted by those who are not the people of God, the persecutor mistakes God's long-suffering, mercy, and patience as one of two things. Either God doesn't care about what we're doing or God's in favor of what we're doing. And they use 
as justification the fact that we're not experiencing consequences. What we fail to recognize is this. Just because there's a lull in facing consequences doesn't mean that they're not coming. The Old Testament is a case study of that. Prophet after prophet after prophet came and warned the people of God, if you persist down this path, you will find consequences. And the justification of the people of God when they were living in sin was, well, I haven't experienced anything yet, so it's probably not coming. Man, is that an easy thought process for us to get into. We can do something that we know in our hearts is wrong before God, and God is not giving us a pass on it. God is giving us the opportunity to repent. But in our refusal to repent, what we don't understand is we are piling up consequences. And with each day that God extends mercy to us, we're filling up the bowl of wrath that we're going to experience. People of Edom couldn't see that. And many today can't see that as well. Listen, God is a loving and gracious and kind God. Repent and turn to him and you will experience that greatness and blessing and kindness and mercy that God longs to extend. But persist in sin and eventually what goes around comes around. You experience the consequences for your sin. So look at verses 17 and 18. Here is Edom dead set against God. They have decided that the Jews will be wiped out. But this is what God has decided. Verse 17. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. The house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. Look, Edom, try as you might to wipe out the people of God. There is one stronger than you who sees to the success of the people of God. In the end, in the final analysis, God will see to the success of his people. I love the first part of that 17th verse. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. Now ultimately, the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ. He is the king of the Jews. And he's coming again. And all of the land that God promised Israel... Jesus will see to that land being the inheritance of his people. Those who temporarily gain by opposing Israel and the people of God, it's a no-win situation because God will see to the success of his plan and his purpose for his people and for the people of Israel. The text goes on. Verse 18 says, The house of Jacob 
will be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. And they will, be set, and, and they will set it on fire and consume it. And there will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. Setting themselves against the people of God and against God himself was their own undoing. They experienced complete, complete destruction. They are no longer a people. Something else. The possession of the land is guaranteed for the people of God. Look at verses 19 and 20. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. In other words, a region of Israel, they're going to occupy you, Edom. People from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines another perennial enemy of Israel. And so basically what Obadiah is saying is this, look, God wins no matter what. His purpose cannot be stalled or kept from taking place. It goes on to say they will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. So all of these regions of Israel will be populated by the people of Israel. Verse 20 says this, The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. So here... All of these regions, all that God had promised, they are going to be given to Israel. Now, we haven't seen it happen yet. The nation that is now called Israel has not possessed all that God had promised, not even close. The day is coming when the King, Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, when He returns and these promises will be fulfilled. The Edomites were on the wrong side of things. And so that's where we have to be on the right side of things. Looking to the promise of God, the truth of God, and relying on His truth. Final thought. The promise that God's kingdom is a sure thing. Look at verse 21, and with this we close. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And it's this last phrase or sentence I want us to look at. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. God, in the final analysis, wins. And everyone else falls short. The scripture reminds us in the New Testament about the deliverer, Jesus, being exalted when it says this. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and this is speaking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is the deliverer. And every day, knees will bow before him. But folks, timing is everything. 
For the people of Edom, they refused to bow their knees, their knees before God the king. Consequence came. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. You can find him as Savior when you turn from your sin to him and avoid the things that the Scripture warns us about for those who oppose God. But if you don't find Jesus as Savior before you die, you'll face him as judge. And every sin that you've committed is called into account unless you've found Jesus as your Savior. We don't want to be on the wrong side of things like the people of Edom. We want to be on the right side of things. And the beauty of Scripture is this. God gives us, as a free gift, the opportunity to find a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. All of these promises that are given to Israel, Jesus being the King who reigns on earth, for the followers of God now, we reign with Jesus. And we trust Him as our Savior. So my encouragement to you, don't count on the things that Edom counted on. Don't count on your wealth, your strength, your wisdom, your health. Any of those things, they all fall short. They can't deliver. But in Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer, we find hope, peace with God, a relationship with him. Find Jesus or face him as judge. Let's pray. Father, thank you.